Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenman and Mulner show here on Newcastle Fans TV. This week's guest has created films such as Finding Jack Charlton, which is one of the best uh, films that I've seen for a little while. Um, the Sir Robson one, two giants of northeast football. Um, the Sir Bobby Robson one? It's called Bobby Robson More Than a Manager. Well... Available now on our Newcastle Fans TV Amazon store. <laughs> Sam trying to get that in. Um, yeah, two giants of northeast football, Sam. And um, Gabriel Clark is our guest, the man who created these two fantastic films. Um, a man that I hugely admire for his work for ITV, but it's going to be a, a show that it's going to be well-remembered for so many reasons. Yeah, see, I will look after you, Johnny, because I knew how much you love Gabriel Clark. And obviously, <laughs> I was in I was in the press junket via Zoom with with Gabriel for finding Jack Charlton. I was lucky enough to get NFTV in there. Um, it's quite um, how best to describe it. It's quite frenzied these junkets because you've got ten minutes and ten minutes sharp, so you kind of need to get everything you need in for then obviously the video is on and on newcastle fans tv youtube um and just at the end when i'd um finished recording i'd I just whilst i was thanking gabriel for his time i just mentioned that we'd love to have him on the podcast and he thankfully says yeah here's my email give me a shout so very very fortunate and um well, really fortunate, actually, because 10 minutes is just nowhere near long enough, and I don't know how how we're going to cram everything we want into this hour-ish, because where do you start? I, I don't know. You can talk about his time as a journalist and you know how he got into doing something that he loves doing, and that has been with ITV. He's been with ITV for nearly 30 years. I think it's roughly about 26, 27 years he's been with ITV, in which... ITV have had Champions League rights, Premier League rights, FA it's Cup rights, League Cup rights. Only good thing about ITV now, Clive Hills has left. <laughs> it's a bit disrespectful to ITV, but I, I think I get well, what you it's mean. Not. Because the thing is, with, with, with Gabriel's kind of, um, they always get him to do like a pre match package thing, which is so different to every other kind of TV networks because it's more he tells a story, doesn't he? And makes it, um, it, makes it feel a, a lot. Um, more different and uh, unique than Sky, BBC, BT, anything else. But yeah, no, it's, it's probably the best thing about ITV's coverage. He takes you on the journey. So I'll give you an example. Gary Neville was interviewed for ITV about England overcoming penalty shootouts and the journey of him as a young man in 1996 when it was his first tournament with England as a player into the current day working for ITV in 2018. Um, that was an incredible piece of work. Now, there's so many I could go through just with England, but obviously the Champions League, Newcastle had a little moments in the Champions League in the early 2000s, which ITV had the, the rights for back in the day. Um, yeah, ITV2. Can you remember? Oh, yeah. These ITV three and four weren't even a channel when we were in the Champions League. <laughs> we always got stuck on ITV two on a Tuesday evening, I think it was. Yeah. yeah, good times. Very good times, and I'm sure Gable will have stories about those times and 
maybe discussions with managers, including the likes of Sir Alex Ferguson. I would imagine there'll be some fantastic stories. Um, there'll be so many. Arsene Wenger, how he managed to get him to either commit or not commit to his future after the cup final where they're just beating the Hull. Um, ironically, against Steve Bruce, um, who was manager of the Hull that day, uh, who was his manager for Newcastle United, which um, I mean, Sam are big admirers of Newcastle United. Um, so it's going to be an hour or so of just great football chat, but probably a bit emotional as well in terms of finding Jack Charlton. Uh, me and Sam both have family members who suffer from dementia, which Jack Charlton unfortunately suffered towards the back end of his uh, his life and very sadly passed away earlier this year. Um, so that'll be a fascinating talking point as well. Um, just very briefly, a big thanks to our sponsors, BF52, um, who sponsored the podcast, bf52.com forward slash NFTV, if you want five, uh, sorry, eight cans rather, of uh, lager beer IPA or stouts. It's just for the price of postage and packaging, which is £5.95. So if you want a little bit of a Christmas present or you're struggling to get people Christmas presents, I'd highly recommend you get that. Plus you get an advent calendar, a beer advent calendar, as long as you're over the age of 18, of course. Um, the beer so- advent calendar is fantastic. I know someone who got that. I think it's like £69, but it's like a big, proper big beer yeah. bottle of beer all throughout December. I mean, well, we're recording this on December the 1st, so... Uh, Harry Carr, shout out. He'll be enjoying his first big bottle of his Beer 52 advent calendar today. The lucky boy. Exactly. Great secret Santa presence as well if you if you do that at work or in the office. Um, so I highly recommend that as well. Um, but Sam, Gabriel Clark, um, people can't miss this one, can they? No. Um, watch the film a couple of times. Um, as well as the um, Bobby Robson one, as you call it, Johnny. Um, <laughs> and also The Edge, which is the one about um, the England cricket team between 2009 and 2013. All three, um, absolutely superb, genius, absolute genius. Um, I can't wait for, for him to do more, to be honest, because I think filmmaking is obviously his passion now. And you can totally see why you've just got to watch these films. They are absolutely fantastic. There's no other way to... I can't I can't big them up enough. Well, I think without further ado, and in the words of Sam Milner, it is now time for the genius, Gabriel Clark. Hello and welcome to the Greenwood and Milner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Alongside myself, Jonathan Greenwood, and my co-host, Sam Milner, we have a man who is synonymous with ITV's football coverage over the last nearly 30 years. Um... We also have a man who's created some fantastic films, Boy Robson, More Than a Manager, and Finding Jack Charlton, which has just been released uh, very recently. So we are very delighted and honoured to have Gabriel Clark on the Green and Mill on the show. So uh, very good morning to you, Gabriel. Yeah, good to see you guys. How are you doing? Very good. Good. Good stuff. Uh, Sam, Gabriel, uh, I've not really, I've not told Gabriel this, but he's a man that I very much admire for his work. Uh, with ITV in particular, and we'll go into more detail about that. But when you told me that you could, you managed to arrange something with Gabriel Sam, I was absolutely delighted. So you see, you. <laughs> you, see, you see how I look after you. I just, I'd never done one of them press junkets before. Obviously, sign of the times it was on Zoom, very strict ten minutes, which I was just wanted to get the kind of key focus questions in there with yourself, Gabriel. And I managed just to slip in at the end just to invite you on the podcast, which you gladly accepted. So we're, we're very grateful for you giving us your time once again. No, guys, it's good to talk to you. And it's not it's not easy doing things at this particular time. But uh, you know, I, know, I know you love your football. And um, uh, Newcastle is a wonderful region. Absolutely brilliant region. 
I, I, I think that's the first question I was going to mention was about Newcastle as a region and what, what are your memories or what are your feelings towards this uh, part of the world? Some of the best, I think. I mean, especially going back to the time of Bobby Robson and the, the team in the Champions League and that great team, which maybe should have done a little bit better. You know, the, the, the Shearer team, Shearer Bellamy, uh, the Robson team, not, not so much the Keegan team. But then again, we did do, we did do a lot with the Kevin Keegan team uh, as they came up out of the championship. I mean, that was a special time too. Uh, so those those two teams, the sort of early 90s team that Kevin put together and then the early noughties team that, that Sir Bobby put together and always coming up to Newcastle, uh, dealing with the club. They're always a very, very good club to deal with. I mean, it, it's a very special, I think, any big one-club city. But Newcastle, I think, stands out in, in that sense because of what it represents to the city and because of the special expectation there is on the players and I think the special status that comes with being a Newcastle manager and if you're able to deal with that uh, in, in a charismatic way uh, connect in, in the way that Keegan and Robson did for long spells there then it's it's always always a great experience to come up and uh, be around game but there were some great nights involved in, the, in that team I remember being in Rotterdam uh, when you got that result that got you through um, against Feyenoord in the group stage of the Champions League, having been written off that season. And that, that was brilliant. And uh, Barcelona, I think we were in Barcelona as well for a game one night where the game was rained off and we stayed over and we did the game the following night. Um, fantastic memories early on, talking to Kevin Keegan about his vision for Newcastle when they were in the Championship. Really was um, a charismatic man at, at that time, Keegan, with this brilliant vision for the city and moving forward. And of course he, he went so far to achieving that. So it is a special place and a special city. And let's hope one day everything comes together. Eh? Hopefully, you just hopefully. need every piece in the, jig, the jigsaw to come together because you've, you've had so many pieces close and so many great players. And, and I still don't think Newcastle is necessarily that far off. We were just speaking actually, uh, Gabriel, to Andy Griffin just just in the last hour, and he speaks about that night in Rotterdam, um, like the game that you mentioned. He said, well, because we asked, well, the question we asked him because he scored the goal, or did he score the goal, Sam, <laughs> against oh, Juventus? Against Juventus which started it all off, started a resurgence, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I. It was a wonderful night. Bellamy was really important that night, wasn't he? Because I think, um, and, and Craig was, wasn't necessarily the easiest guy to to get an interview with at that stage in his career. Maybe that was him at his fiery um, worst, best, whichever way you want to put it. I always thought it was, I, I always thought it was a wonderful player and you, you, know, you just would want him on your team. And I remember speaking to Craig after that game and I thought, right, well, okay, well, Craig's, Craig's having a good night now. We'll try and arrange an interview with him. Uh, that must have been a Tuesday or a Wednesday. So I said, Craig, come on, let, let's do a, let's do a chat for, uh, on the ball as we had it then. Friday at the club. Yeah, OK. So I managed to get him and we did a really, I remember doing a really interesting interview with him and when he talked a lot about his temperament. But I'd known him from uh, doing a piece when he was a very young player at Norwich. Um, back in the, for the Football League Extra show of the, in the middle, middle of the 90s. So he was 18-19, but exceptionally, exceptionally good for that level. And uh, I, I, I do like players like Craig who 
the fans don't like. I often find those guys. That's why they often make good pundits. You'll see them come through and make good pundits or, or good managers. You know, and Craig was in that in that class really, where he was difficult. He was hard. It wasn't easy to to make a connection with him. But but if you were able to, you'd find out that it was often a, a very interesting person underneath the image, which which was just a sort of bit of a stereotype, you know. For sure, and. We're going to go right back to the beginning, Gabriel. Um, after obviously that, that lovely story with uh, the game against Feyenoord, but um, Radio Trent is where it started for yourself, and it's at the time where Brian Clough is the manager of Nottingham Forest, and obviously you went on to make a film about Brian Clough. Um, what was that whole experience like right at the beginning at Radio Trent? What was your vision for your career? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I I did did English. I was like writing. I was quite good at English. I love sport and I obviously love football. And um, I was never quite going to be a footballer, but as often commentators or reporters or journalists say, the next best thing. So I studied in journalism. I wanted to get my basics right in terms of news journalism. And I could have gone into news journalism, but then I was off offered various chances at the end of the 80s when there was a boom in sort of commercial radio. And uh, the station that uh, offered me a, I felt was the best sports job was Radio Trent and at that time you had Nottingham, Leicester, Derby, Forest in Division 1 as it was then, Derby County in Division 1 as it was then under Arthur Cox, um, Leicester in Division 2, David Pleat but a good team, players like McAllister and then the, the opportunity to do all sorts of sports across that region so test match cricket at Trent Bridge, motorsport, Donington Park, um, a little boxing, some ice hockey, but, but football had this excellent uh, base. And of course, yeah, at the centre of it all was this the final team of Cluffy's era there, really. Final really good team, Nottingham Forest team. And yeah, so I was there for only about 14, 15 months, but I just loved every bit of it because it was the first time I got to broadcast live at games. I do two or three games a week, Mansfield, Notts County, Forest, Leicester, up and down the country, getting a sense of it and um, getting, a, getting a sense of what it took to be a reporter and a commentator and also do news and programme making. So it was a formidable grounding for me. I got to interview, one of my ambitions was to interview Brian Clough at that stage, but Brian was notoriously... Um, you know, Brian, Brian was doing it his way without a shadow of a doubt, you know, so uh, it, there was no, this, this is, these were long before the days of press conferences at said hour when everybody turns up and a man sits behind a table, a woman sits behind a table and, and for 30 organised minutes you get what you want. Brian wouldn't have liked that. And uh, so he let them get on with training. He'd turn up to reserve team games, seven o'clock Central League games. And that was your best opportunity. And I remember turning up one night, almost like you had to do your time, prove to him that you were serious about it, uh, working out of hours, really. And Brian said, OK, yeah, come back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. We'll have a chat. So I came back tomorrow at 4 o'clock, waited in the car park. Secretary let me in. An hour or so later, waiting. Office door opens. You're right, come in, young man. Let's have a chat. I can't remember too much about the chat or what we talked about. I'm sure it was to do with Forrest getting to the League Cup final that season or the Simod Cup final or both. I can't remember. Um, 
but I do remember him offering me a glass of whiskey and I, and I turned it down and I think that was probably the right thing to do. <laughs> and, um, and him, him giving me a very, very good interview, which we got some wonderful content out of. Um, but it was a very good grounding and a hugely influential figure. And I was very pleased when, uh, yeah, getting on for 20 years later, we were able to make one of the first films about him after his death with Nigel involved, his son, who I got to know a little bit, and then his wife, Barbara, involved as well, who'd never done anything really, and uh, passed away herself shortly after that. So. Um, an, an exceptional figure, and you could you could make another film about him now. I think you'd find even more archive. But there's always always a reason to want to listen back and and uh, find out more about the magic of Clough, um, because he was not only a brilliant manager, but he was the first real pundit manager TV superstar, and continually backed it up. And of course, also had had this social conscience, which. Uh, comes from the Northeast, really, I think, that background in the Northeast, which he never lost. Fascinating, man. Yeah, you're getting a reputation of uh, making these films about figures in the Northeast now. <laughs> um, yeah. when, you, when, you, when you approach these kind of iconic figures for interviews, Cloughs, Robsons, Fergusons, is the approach from yourself always the same, or do you have to treat everyone kind of differently or what's what's the mindset going into interview someone like a brian clough compared to someone like a bobby robson yeah i mean it, it, it's two different things really if you're talking about sort of the approach on one-on-one interviews post-match then i think you, you know you, you're you're dealing with a very different dynamic which is the post-match interview is often pretty tense stressful both ways in that the manager or the player you know a few minutes after a game um, might not necessarily be in the best mood. Uh, whichever way, even if they've won, they'll be highly strung. Your challenge is to get the interview as soon as you can. Um, and often, especially for ITV, you're under much stricter deadlines as a terrestrial channel than you are with a sports channel. Well, well you always are, to be honest. So often the, 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 the bare minimum or is getting the, getting the interview on air, you know, and, and that, that it can be satisfying and it's good to do that but can also be slightly more stressful and necessary and, and you often aren't, aren't allowed as much time as you'd get working for a platform channel or a, a sports channel when, when you're doing a documentary in broader senses i think um what, what you want to be able to do to the, the people you're dealing with or the family of the people you're dealing with whether it's clough robson charlson is i think lay out um not only your own credibility but also a sense of why you want to do the story and what you want what you want it to be about and how how uh what, what your target is for that film so not not just simply a hagiography you've got to make it clear to them that you know you want to do something that has documentary value uh, and the documentary value will hopefully come from the sense that you share that this is an untold story uh, about their father or or husband um which into which you're going to go into a uh, a real level of depth which will do that subject justice you know and and that's what we try to do certainly with Clough with with Robson and Charlton um I, I, I certainly was no ambition to do just three great managers but what led me to the to each of them was in, in their separate ways incredible stories which I knew had incredible archive to go with them and uh, stories as well personalities that stretched outside of football um and whose lives uh, resonated not just for football reasons you know they, they were 
incredible individuals in their own right. I think the first one we'll we'll touch about is finding Jack Charlton because it's the most recent. Um, I, me and Sam spoke about because we we watched it uh, through the week and we both had very similar thoughts um, in regards to the film in that it was emotional, fascinating, but you just couldn't stop watching it. You had to watch it, and um, the one thing that we both agreed on was we both had family members that have suffered with dementia and Alzheimer's is that how difficult is it to watch back those scenes if you want to call them scenes of Jack Charlton now when he's with his family and obviously towards the end of his life yeah well I I sympathize with you and you know fortunately in my family there, there isn't uh a history of dementia so for me it was very much a learning experience and possibly value, valuable in that sense because one of the things i hope that comes across in the film is, is is you are able to get a real sense of what it's like if you if you've not been near the subject before of what it is to live with someone who's living with dementia and, and how how hard that is for the family members as much as anything um to answer your question, we, we really followed the lead of uh, Pat Charlton, Jack's wife, and John Charlton, the son, in terms of what we were filming and and when was the right time to film it. And Pat was there in, in all those scenes, quite rightly. So we, we said we'd like to we'd like to do some, you know, if Jack still does a bit of fishing, we'd like to film with Jack fishing. If Jack still sees his grandkids, obviously he does. Let's go to the pub and, and, and see that and do that. Uh, Jack just in the family home talking and having a good time with his grandkids. Let's do that. So those scenes, I think it's important to say, were, were filmed as were filmed around Jack's daily life living, you know, and, and the Alzheimer's Society, who we also liaised with in Ireland and the UK, who's supporting the film, partners of the film, make it clear that people with dementia still live their lives. You, you still move on with, with things. And I think that was as hard as it is to see those scenes and as poignant as it is, you're also, in in many ways, I think, hopefully being inspired by seeing how the family and Jack were living with it and continuing to get on with their lives. And that, that I hope, is one of the abiding messages you get from those scenes. Yeah, I mean, what brought it home for me was when I was watching the film, um, when uh, you had Jack sat at the laptop watching highlights of his yeah. island days, and throughout the film before then, it was very much couldn't remember much i've no idea was a common phrase which which really reminded me of my granddad before he passed away earlier this year but it was when paul mcgrath came on mm. and then you had that glint in his eye paul mcgrath and that that glint in the eye was is so it just brought everything back from my granddad and 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 i think it will with a lot of people who have um early onset mm. dementia and alzheimer's in in um their family that, that that glint in their eye when they recognise something and they know they've cottoned on. There's still a person in there that's still, as you say, living living their life. Was it was it difficult to film with them? Um, because what what I think also was Jack's wife Pat is just an absolute superstar. Mm. Like um, similar with Lady Elsie with um, Sir Bobby as well. Um, mm. These are very strong women, you know. I know these are very strong women and and. and uh and i'm very pleased that in both films 
that's the impression that comes across because I think John Charlton says in the film that uh, and we were we were it was vital for me that we put this line in that without without my mum my, my dad wouldn't have achieved half of what he's achieved and I think it's um, you know it's often it's not overlooked because listen um, these these are charismatic men and hugely successful but um, it, it's one of the great pleasure, pleasures that I've found. Uh, very satisfying to be able to, thanks to, thanks to, thanks to Pat and to Lady Elsie, it's a privilege to talk to them and to to understand uh, what they thought of their their husbands, you know, um, which can often be quite amusing and funny, and they'll take, they'll take the Mickey out of them and they'll give you the honest truth, won't you? Know? Well, these these are the real power in the households, and uh, yeah, so I, I think I think that. That was vital, uh, but we did, as I say, we did want to follow their lead, and and it was important as well in the film to get that for me to get a neutral voice. We had um, Dr. Michael Gray, who's leading one of the research projects into football and dementia. And uh, listen, it's not a film about football and dementia. That that's another documentary entirely. But of course, you have to make the link when the Charltons are involved, and uh, it was important that we got this neutral voice if you like expert voice to put in context moments like that uh where the person living with dementia has uh, strong powerful triggers of memory uh, like the paul mcgraw moment in amongst the moments where they they cannot they cannot recall anything and the, the sense of remorse when you can't recall anything and the sense of great satisfaction when you can that, that that's where the emotion comes from i think and so it was important that somebody from the expert field was able to be that voice around some of those scenes as well, because when you are close to it, like Pat, Pat is and Pat was, it, it, it's very difficult, I think, to, in a way, be, in a way to sort of articulate it yourself because you're living with it. So we, it was important for me that we had that voice there as you'll see in the film, that is able to put into context the, the nature of dementia in in, the, in its cruelest sense, but also when you have those wonderful moments where the person is able to uh, recall things. Yeah, I think another wonderful moment from the Finding Jack Charlton film, um, and we'll touch about the Subway Robson film very, very shortly, was um, the whistling of uh, the Blade and Racers, um, which I thought was, again, very poignant, but do you know, it, it made you. It made you smile. It made you smile again. It was right at the end of the film, but of course, it was after um, Ireland uh, losing to Italy in the World Cup, and it, it almost showed that Jack, if he hadn't been accepted by Ireland, hundred percent, he'd been accepted when there's Western the Blade and Racers um, after after uh, after the defeat. But again, do you do you fill yourself with pleasure, Gabriel, when you know that you get a lot of credit for? I'm going to call them masterpieces for these for these films. Well, that's very kind of you to say so. I mean, I, I always find it is nice when you get a nice response, and we've had a very very good response to this film um, I, I, because because of various topics maybe that it's it's broken out into uh, in terms of public discussion around around dementia and and memory and obviously football football and its link, which which again wasn't the objective of the film. So I I just think it. 
it's very nice of people to say that. What I want to do with all the, the, the films that I've made and the, even, even short pieces that I've done for ITV over the years is you want to try and get people emotionally connected to what you're doing or at least to feel that the person you're or the team or the subject you're covering, uh, it's, it's a reason for you to be engaged in it. You know, because the reason you and I, I think we all love football is because of the way it makes us feel. And uh, it takes us into areas, sport does that, that, that nothing else does. You don't know what's going to happen. And the people themselves, um, who we regard as our heroes or villains, understanding their stories and and getting inside the mind and the to, to understand the true impact of people like Charlton or Robson or Clough is a privilege as a documentary maker. But you have to, if you're going to do that, and you're going to persuade families to help you out and you want people to watch and engage you've got to make sure that you're going to do something that's emotionally engaging and um there are uh, and that, that that's that's the first thing i want to do so i think if people feel that they've got emotionally engaged and they felt something they have to keep watching you, know, you said you kept watching well that's a big relief to me <laughs> there's plenty of things that i watch where i'm I, i'm very impatient and i'm gone after 10 minutes and, and you know and you know that's why I never sit in screenings of films of ours at festivals or anything like that, because I'm terrified that after ten minutes somebody gets up and walks out. You know, so I don't, I don't want to know the bad news. But you have to get emotionally engaged with with a film, I think. Um, and of course, with the storyline, and the storyline therefore has to have some sort of emotional basis or compelling, gripping reason to watch the way you structure it and, and go from past and present, for instance is a way sometimes of making sure that people are, are hooked early on they're not just getting a, a linear process here we start in childhood and we'll go through to death you know so that that's that's another way in which i try to approach it which hopefully means that you'll get the nice response that you've said there so i appreciate it no no problem sam um the boy robson film boy robson um is obviously more than a manager the title tells us itself isn't it and um what were your feelings on the film first, Sam, uh, before we discuss it with Gabriel? Well, Bobby Bobby was a massive hero of mine because it's Bobby Robson. That what he did to turn Newcastle United around, and and I mean, I was a bit slightly too young to remember um, Italia '90, despite what you may think of my age, Johnny. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a remarkable figure. Um, when you were making that film, Gabriel. Did you learn anything about Bobby that you maybe didn't know before? Because you would have come across him many times, especially throughout that um, 2002-03 season in the Champions League. But was there anything that surprised you whilst you made that film about the great man? I think that he was greater than I imagined. You know, and that, that's not being sycophantic or anything. I mean, I, I just, it was incredible the reaction that we got when we, when we put out our request to do interviews. I mean, every documentary I've worked on, and I'm working on one now, and I've just had a no now from somebody who I thought would have say would have say yes to, to doing an interview about the subject they were involved in, but no. You know, so many things happen at clubs and the histories between players and managers that you don't know about, and you think, oh, they'll have a great relationship, and uh, they, they would have gotten well together. No, it's not the case. But with Sir Bobby, unbelievably, everybody everybody and we're talking a-list only because i would essentially only want to go to a-list interviewees so many in his career so many people that he influenced so you're talking about sir alex jose Mourinho, 
Alan Shearer, Gary Lineker, uh, Pep Guardiola, you know, huge figures who were very, very busy in their daily lives. Ronaldo, you know, Ronaldo, uh, the Brazilian Ronaldo, who who um, is not the easiest to, to, to get in front of a camera when it comes to talking about things. And they all were there. Um, Sir John Hall, hardly done any interviews whatsoever when it came to Newcastle after he left and, um, and agreed to an interview. And... Uh, the same within Barcelona, um, uh, Gaspar, the the guy who got the guy who got Bobby to the club, and the guy who helped get Bobby out of the club, you know, who uh, guys who were ruthless, if you like, and, and maybe had a, had a sense of guilt about the way that they treated Bobby, but they lined up to to do interviews in the film. So that that was what blew us away, really was that the cast that we wanted came together so easily and the people when they did interviews did them did them with such um, a depth of feeling and love for this man that we knew that we, we couldn't fail in that sense yeah i didn't realize um how much of an influence he had on guardiola mm. i mean I, did, I knew he played under him at barcelona but and i've watched pretty much every Bobby documentary there is out there. but And yet it still surprised me. I couldn't believe the amount of um, affection that Pep had for Sir Bobby. It just goes to show how far and wide Sir Bobby's reach was across Europe. Yeah, and I think Ronaldo as well. Ronaldo surprised us too. You know, it was one season Sir Bobby, Sir Bobby signed him, but the, the, the connection was always there after that. And I think um, that, was, that was the strength of the man in that he had this ability to connect on a human level with people. Um, because of it, first of all, because of his passion for the game, which anybody who loves the game is going to be um, captivated by. And yeah, it, 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 obviously, and it, it told me that the man that we saw, what you see is what you get. Consistently, that that was that was Sir Bobby, and I think that's what people liked about him. There was no edge to him. There was no hidden agenda. There was nothing else going on. He, and maybe he wasn't. Uh, so many managers you meet are, are politicians as well, and almost have to be politicians. They have to be diplomats. They have to be working on something, and and that was a weakness of Sir Bobby's. And maybe that's you know that the reason why it didn't work out in Newcastle in the end. You know, he was maybe naive on a human level, and that was that was his failing. And um, as, as things became political in the boardroom. He wasn't he wasn't good at dealing with those sorts of things um and, and self-protecting but he was true to himself very much so I, I was going to touch about the newcastle departure but i think the england italia 90 um again i was i wasn't even born so i do apologize <laughs> if i'm giving my age away there but um when you look at the moments when he talks about the penalties and the penalties are being taken and he mentions the likes of Chris Waddle, Stuart Pierce, and he was so confident, even at that moment, that they were going to score. And the, the relationship with Paul Gascoigne, I think, is again a father and son relationship. But he got the best out of a. I, I don't like saying this, but I think it is appropriate. A flawed genius in Paul Gascoigne. Yeah, their relationship was exceptional. And again, that that you know, what Paul um, doesn't do too many interviews. Uh, we uh, managed to see Paul. Paul did a short interview, but it was very emotional. Paul gets emotional when he talks about Sir Bobby because that that bond is there, and that that again that sort of surprised me that that um, 
Paul felt that way and still feels that way, but it's wonderful as well. And I mean, Bobby's un so Bobby's understanding of Paul on a, on a human level, I think, lads from the northeast, there was obviously a connection there, which so Bobby so Bobby was able to relate to Paul quickly. Now, Paul didn't didn't always make it easy for Sir Bobby, but it's a, a bit like Jack Charlton and Paul Marat. Yeah, you know they the great leaders I think have that ability to deal with the flawed genius you know and and the flawed genius is essentially needs some patience and understanding which maybe they've never had before so in their lowest moments they're looked after and Paul says in the film um, I felt safe you know and that that is a line that resonated with a lot of people uh, that's Paul Gascoigne said that uh, and Paul McGrath talks about the love and loyalty that Jack showed him. And I think it's that that ability on a human level when the pressure's on and you you want your player to do well for you, but you know that if you push them slightly in the wrong direction, everything could go wrong off the pitch and on it. But you're able as a manager, you know exactly how to play it. And that, that's something that Bobby and Jack had a huge talent for. Yeah. I mean, what did I say to you, Johnny, yesterday? The the similarities and parallels with the, the relationships between um, Bobby and, and Gaza and, and Jack Charlton and, and Paul McGrath, they were just beautiful to watch in a way because it was it's just these geniuses when they get on the pitch but off the pitch so troubled. And if it wasn't for these two figures... <laughs> God knows what would have happened and where they'd have ended up and moments of magic wouldn't have been created, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I wasn't really that aware of direct parallels and you, when you work for them, there's a, done several projects in between these two films, but pretty much, but Jack, Jack pretty much repeats a quote. It was Jack from a Desert Island Discs interview or something like that, because obviously with all our Jack material in the film, we sourced previous interviews and we did an awful lot of that. And there's one line where Jack Jack talks about Jack. Uh, Jack talks about Paul McGrath, and he says, "You know, you have to be careful, right? Be careful because people in football they'll look after you when you're playing. Mm. Once you stop playing, they won't they won't care, you know." And and Jack, I think, always had a continued to have a connection with Paul after that, and and it's exactly the same as what happened in with Bobby Robson and Gaza. You know, Bobby Gaza says in the film, Bobby continued to ring me up. To, to check I was okay. And that, that's all he could sort of do. And we're talking about when, when Sir Bobby himself was, was was ill with cancer. And that's all he could do. And I think that's all all maybe that Gazza expected him to do. Because Paul, Paul obviously has been on a roller coaster journey with his with his life after football. Uh, in the same way that Paul McGrath has. So but knowing that that person is there uh, uh, is, is good. But obviously there's that fascinating nature basically jack and jack and bobby said the same thing to paul and to paul and um uh it, it tells you a lot i think about how they were able to see football in its widest sense it just comes full circle as well that back to that moment where jack sat at the laptop and and pat saying he wouldn't recognize a picture of jeff hurst who he's won the biggest prize in world football with but then boom Paul McGrath, yeah. and, and 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 it's the same with um, Sir Bobby and Gaza. Where, um, uh, at that um, 
test a friendly kind of match. Right at uh, the end, yeah, yeah. Right at the end, yeah. Play, play well, Gaza, and all of that. It, it, Absolutely, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's beautiful, really is. Yeah, yeah, and and that this is again, that's what you know. The, the football is an emotional, uh, hugely emotional, and you know, and and uh, I think it's it, it's all fans want to see, isn't it? They want to see they want to see um, players giving it everything every time they pull on, every time they pull on the shirt, you know, and. Um, so I think if you're able in a documentary, if you're able to get a sense of people when they're talking to you, giving you everything, you know, as a, as, a, as an interviewer, that's your challenge. So come on, give me a tell me tell me all you can say here. Don't don't hide it. Give me a hundred percent. You know, that that's what you want to try and do as an interviewer, often with people. But you'll find obviously on subjects like Jack and, and Bobby, that's much more likely to happen because that person, that superstar, loved that person and had a special relationship with them. So. Um, you know, when you when you're weighing up the merits of a story, if you know that you think, yeah, if I talk to him about that, you, you know, you, you could really get emotional on this. You could really start to tell me something I've not heard before. Then that, of course, is is what you say to people who might want to invest in the film or TV commissioners. Listen, we're going to get something here that people are going to really be able to uh, respond to on a human level. Forget the football, but on a human level, there's something here that's going to really break out. For sure. Um, we're going to touch on to your career at ITV, um, being at the company since 1991, uh, when you were basically part of a programme called Safe and Greasy. Um, I don't know if you remember that programme, Sam, but I, I, I didn't know about it. But um, what were your memories of that, Gabriel, when you first came to uh, went to ITV and that was the programme you're going to be helping? Have you watched any of it, guys? It's on YouTube. I've watched it on YouTube. Yeah. I've watched a little bit, but I, I, I never I've heard it in the past episodes, time. No? Um, well, my evening sorted. Yeah. <laughs> Ian St. John, ex-Liverpool and Scotland. Jimmy Greaves, uh, the greatest goal scorer of his generation and still, I think, uh, holds the goal-scoring record for goals in English football and um, uh, an incredible story in his own right, Jimmy. And uh, they presented this thing from the mid 80s, early 80s. And I joined from uh, radio and then uh, did a year at BSB, which then became Sky. And I got this, yeah, wonderful break at ITV. And uh, a year later, they lost the rights to the Premier League. So um, I battled on, but um, and I've battled on at ITV ever since through various rights struggles and changes of uh, rights ownership. Um, but it, it, it was a wonderful program to work on, albeit just for a year, because it was a network program and you were able to essentially think about magazine features on football. So I'd do things from ranging from uh, the Cowdenbeath chairman who, who uh, did every job at the club and then went um, uh, go-kart racing or what is it now, stock car racing uh, <laughs> after a game. Um, you create, so then like, St. Greasy like the um, irreverent stories, you know, football Football is fun. Obviously, you covered the serious issues as well. Like at that time, will there be a Premier League or not, for instance? Um, and uh, Alan Sugar's takeover at Tottenham that was happening at that time, I remember talking to Alan Sugar and uh, got the easiest interview and we can see why now. And uh, But it, it was a very good experience and it, and it enabled me to get a sense of features, working on features, doing more than just, if you like, the, the school lines, the, the simple match broadcast coverage, reporting, doing a, a variety of things. And then it led to Euro 92 at the end of that year, which was my first major tournament. 
with England and Scotland in that in that tournament in Sweden, which wasn't great for either of those two, but it was a very wonderful experience for me. Uh, and I've done been lucky enough with ITV to do every major football tournament since then, which which is a privilege, and um, and rugby World Cups and a lot of major boxing boxing events and boxing films, which I've really enjoyed, and, and other sports too, like even like the boat race, for instance. So it's 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 Come been a, after an interview. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been a it's been um, a time, as I say, a massive transi transition in sports broadcasting, and that continues to go on. You take on a on a contract as a broadcaster and hope to do it well, but you're, you're never ever going to be sure that at the end of that contract you'll get it again. The FA Cup comes back to ITV next year, for instance, which is great news. Um, will we will we keep the Six Nations going going into next year? You, you don't know because of the way the market is changing. But um, uh, I owe ITV a lot, and it's given me a, a, a wonderful grounding opportunity to do all sorts of work. Which is, you know, and it's thanks to them that it, it's led it to the documentary area. You talk about those rights, and I know I know you still work for ITV, so I'm not going to put you in any difficult position there. But do you count yourself very fortunate the fact that you you've mentioned that you've basically you've seen in terms of football, you've had Champions League, you've had FA Cup, you've had League, you've had Premier League um, highlight packages, you've had football league, football league packages over the years as well. So in one hand, you count yourself very, very lucky to be a part of all these different football tournaments in some capacity. Or do you still find it frustrating that you talk about the next contract? So obviously, it's brilliant news for ITV that they've got the FA Cup, but the Champions League, I, I, the Champions League's the one. I still think the Champions League should be on terrestrial TV. And I'm not just saying ITV, yeah. but ITV are synonymous with Champions League over the years. And I do think they, they got the best moments over the years. Um, that is my personal opinion. I don't know. I'm sure it might be Gabriel's, but I'll ask him now. Um, how do you feel about the last say, well, 20 minutes? I mean, that, yeah, that, that has been the feedback from a lot of fans that we've heard. Uh, the, the tournament that began, we began it, yeah. We lost the Premier League right. The, the Premier League began. Those rights went to Sky and BBC Highlights. But at the same time, there was this competition beginning called the UEFA Champions League. And, and ITV took the gamble on it, as it was at that point. And then stayed with it up until 2015, doing doing live games, and then three years of highlights, which, frankly, um, weren't that enjoyable because there's nothing like doing live games. Uh, but I, I think, I think, I agree with you. I would agree with you, wouldn't I? That I, I'm not sure that the, the competition carries the same uh, kudos and place in the public um, sphere when it's on uh, a sports channel only. You know, and I, and I think, um, but that's a decision that every every um, federation, in this case UEFA, has to make, and they they have to decide: do we do we take the much greater fee and the much lower profile in terms of audience figures? Um, uh, what what do we do? You know, which is going to be best in the long term? I don't. Football doesn't have the same problems that cricket has, for instance, or maybe even rugby union. There's a you know, big big debate now about whether rugby union, the Six Nations, for the first time ever, will go behind a paywall. And and with COVID, with COVID, there's a, COVID has changed things again, you know, so it's made it more likely that federations, the six, the six rugby nations, will say, we have to do this. You know, we have to take uh, the bigger fee, even though potentially in the long term, it, 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 what will it mean? Will our superstar players at the moment in 10 years' time be unknowns? You know, Joe Root could walk down Oxford Street, couldn't he? The England cricket yeah. captain. 
uh, and not be recognized a great deal compared to, you know, if you compare that to a David Beckham, or maybe that's the wrong example, you compare that to a Raheem Sterling, you know. So I, I think, um, uh, you you know, we, we're pretty philosophical, I think, now in television. If you've been around television for a long time, like I have, you know that every good thing is going to come to an end. Hopefully it's replaced by another just as good thing. But that that's not always the case. Uh, I think it in the end it's up to, it's up to fans you, you don't pay the subscription or you know or campaign for it to be returned campaign for governments to put it on the uh the list the protected list which obviously world cups and uh, fa cups are uh or or this still is is possible it's that it's going to happen and uh, especially now because of covid you know there are an awful lot of bank accounts that are running low and an awful lot of clubs and federations that will say, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to get the fan to buy another subscription to another channel to pay for another way in which they watch their sport. You know, I mean, how many subscriptions have you got to have? For Champions League, Italian football, you know, um, Scottish football, um, it, it, you know, every everything uh, now is is being more and more separated. But that's because wages are going up, COVID is what it is, and it's harder and harder, I think, for terrestrial television, BBC, ITV, Channel 4, to compete in that market as well. Yeah, I think it's maybe it's a matter of, and I, and I think there always will be things that are protected, and that's crucial. But I, I think, it, I think it's, it, it's good. I think that the fans value that terrestrial product, which more people see. I think it's it's up to fans to a degree to to have the to have the power, you know. And, and we've seen from what happened what's happened with with grounds, obviously, in the last nine months, how important fans are to the whole football experience. So fans do have do have a degree of power now when it comes even to things. I think like television contracts, if they were to mobilise. Of course, um, Sam. Yeah, look at pay per view. Look at pay per view for the Premier League that just happened. Fan power got that overturned because it was a horrendous yeah. idea. Correct, and that's what exactly what I mean. You know, I think there is the, the listen. The, the subscription football is here to stay, and rightly so. It's changed the game in so many ways, so much, so many ways for the better. But I think it's it's um, you know Champions League, for instance. There are no highlights now on terrestrial television. It's completely and utterly behind the paywall. The whole product. You know, can you imagine that happening with the Premier League and there being no match of the day? I don't think so. No. So, you know, we, we, in that sense, in that sense, we're in unprecedented territory, and it, it, therefore, you know, what, what does that mean for the profile of the Champions League in the UK? Who knows? But it, it is something. Obviously, we are in unprecedented territory. So when you say me and my mates don't talk about the Champions League too much, that's probably the reason. I mean, the relationship now with broadcasters is kind of filtering down right up into the management and playing squads. We saw not so long ago, last weekend, Jurgen Klopp and Des Kelly get into, not a, not a war of words, should we say, but there was crosswords about the schedule and how, you know, games are being played, timings just to suit broadcasters. Um, with that altercation, have you ever had any of that yourself, sort of post-match, where you think, oh, this could be a bit tricky and it's not... Not, not maybe not to the extreme of how Klopp was going on, but things are mm. just a bit um, awkward. Yeah, that. 
Well, there's always been awkward, awkward interviews and, and questions that you have to ask and but about the match or about the results. I mean, I think um, that the Jurgen Klopp um, argument about scheduling and television, um, he says it's a unique time and therefore broadcasters have to have to. Um, I think his point was broadcasters have to be more considerate. Um, I mean, I, I think uh, uh, the the general argument made by um, BT and Des Kelly that day was well, it's, it's a Premier League issue. The Premier League signed the deals. They make the, you know, the Premier League clubs um, agree to the the kickoff times, and and if you want to, if you want that change, then it's got to be looked at in the next contract. I think that's fair enough. I think that was the essence of the essence of the discussion. I think um, to a degree, Jurgen Klopp um, was, was not, is never going to get that much sympathy when it comes to that. Um, BT, Sky, as we know, foreign broadcasters as well, because pay pay billions, and that that twelve thirty slot is this is a slot, and I know the clubs don't like it. Um, I know the players don't like it, as we've seen in recent weeks. is a tough slot for them to get used to, ever to get used to. But it's there for the Asian market because it's prime time in Asia, China, Japan, uh, Korea. A huge market which pays billions of pounds for the rights, and um, I, I, the, 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 in that in that sense, my answer is simple: the clubs can't have it both ways. Hundred percent, hundred percent agree. You talked about your post-match interviews uh, previously. Um, the one interview that I've mentioned to Sam, and I don't know if he can remember it. It was uh, when Arsenal played Hull uh, in the FA Cup final. Ironically, Steve Bruce was manager for Hull that day. Uh, obviously, now the Newcastle manager. And you talk about how you have tight deadlines, essentially. You've got about a minute and a half, maybe, after the game to try and get the most out of a manager. It was every reporter's, I think, mission to try and to get Arsene Wenger to commit to his future to Arsenal or if he was leaving. He, he hadn't made his mind up and he wasn't telling anybody. Now, I tell Sam this story because that was probably the only mission that you had to do. Yes, Arsenal, fantastic congratulations, he won the yeah. FA Cup. But Arsenal, are you staying? Arsenal, you've got to tell the fans, there's loads of fans around Wembley that are delighted. Are you staying? And you got it out of them. Is Was that your only, like I say, mission, essentially? To yeah, get that, I, so. I mean, cross? sometimes uh, I, I think there have been various cup finals where that's happened. 2005 Champions League final, Steven Gerrard, the greatest moment in his career. <laughs> you know, there you are sort of waiting in like a bull in a china shop. Yeah, but what about? But, you know, I, I think that, you know, the 2008 Champions League final, Ronaldo, are you staying? They, both, both of those were winning finals, uh, as were the Arsene Wenger one. So you're probably more likely to get a positive answer. Um, and, and that was the case with those, and they did stay. Um, uh, yes, I mean, it's awkward, but you have to do it. You know, I think it's because if you don't ask the question and somebody else does and gets the answer, then, of course, the question that your boss will ask you is, well, why didn't you ask it? You have to be seen to be asking it. You just want to be able to do it in a subtle way and not in a way, you know, ideally it's, Arsene, will you be staying? Yes, I will. Because it's <laughs> not quite like that, is it? They might, they might hedge their bets. They might say, oh, listen, I don't want to talk about it today and now's not the moment and... You know, and you're not being encouraged to ask it either by the club themselves. So, but 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 hopefully they understand why you're doing it, and to a degree, you do feel often in those situations they have made their mind up. They do know what they're going to do often before those final cup final days. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I think as soon as the final whistle's blown, that they can basically say when they want to say it and uh, who, who will I say it to. Yeah. And if you're, if you're, if you're yeah. first in the queue, game, you're going to you're gonna, uh, yeah, you're gonna I, first. I mean, it happens every year. I mean, I think Arsenal had it with Aubameyang this, this year, didn't they? And he, 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 did hedge, he did hedge his bets. Fair enough. I, I imagine the contract hadn't been agreed. But he scored for two winning goals in the cup final. And of course, that's what that's that's all he's asked about pretty much after the game. And um, but you get a sense, I think, that somebody's gonna say it stay. I think that last year Edin Azar was one of the rare ones that the, the guys from BT interviewed him after the Chelsea Arsenal uh Europa League final. And he and he, he was man enough to say, No, I'm not, you know, I'm gonna leave. This is my last game. I think that's why that. That was a, a very good question and it was good to get that answer. And, and good, good, I think, for the player at that point to be transparent because it's not always easy to, to do that. And I'm, I'm sure they're not always being encouraged by their agents either at that point. Definitely not. Go on, Sam. It's kind of like um, a unique time at the, at the end of the game because you, I don't think you could ever get away with asking them sort of questions in the traditional pre-match press conference. So there's kind of, in a way, kind of, is it right that there's like a lot of pressure riding on that kind of one minute you have, and you say it's like quite a stressful minute for both parties? But I, I think I think I'm right in saying it, it is fairly unique because maybe guards are let down slightly. With yeah, I mean, I think if 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 you've just won the cup final and you're you're happy and you're delighted, you know, uh, you, you probably feel that throw me anything and I'll be able to deal with it. At least that, from my point of view, that, that's the hope is that maybe, yeah, I can I can with Steven Gerrard after 2005 Cup Final when he's he's hugging everyone in sight, 2005 Champions League Final where, he, where he's hugging everyone in sight. Um, you're just in, he's just in, a, in a, an incredibly emotional and a positive moment. I mean, I'm not trying to exploit that though. It's, it's just, I think that you're, you, you, you know, they're, they're, they're just unique. They're, they're unique situations in which you have to um, get more than just tell me how you're feeling out of them. And of course, a lot of the time you just won't. You know, why should you? Why should they suddenly turn into uh, John F. Kennedy and be wonderfully articulate? But that's not what you want. You just want you want a sense of of um, uh, what that day represented. You want a sense of what the um, uh, what it what it represents for the club. Uh, you want to you want a bigger sense, of course, of key ma- key moments that happened in the match, and you don't want to overcomplicate it. But you might have one or two questions that you wouldn't, as you say, put anywhere near to asking before a game there, because you know, and I think the the person knows as well, the player or the manager knows that um, they've reached the end of a line, if you like. They, they they've now got to a point. At the end of a season, where it is about looking to the future as well, and it is about saying I'm staying or I'm going, uh, or I'm not quite sure yet. The pinnacle for any English footballer is to play for its country. Now, ITV in England have got this relationship, um, obviously with England having obviously the, the game protected, as you've rightly said, Gary, with their big tournaments. Do you still get the same buzz when you go and? report on England and I know Sam and myself would like to ask you about the ideas that you create when you say get a Harry Kane for example before a game and you have that mini film rather mm. about a certain topic or a certain subject um, does it basically give you that, that buzz still? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, reporting on England is a privilege. And um, the last World Cup was, without a shadow of a doubt, the best World Cup I've done. And um, and, and a lot of that is, is, is about the results. Because, you know, England did superbly. They overachieved. They got to a semi-final. Nobody expected it. The, the, uh, the way in which Gareth Southgate and the players connected with in as a group there but also with uh England back home was wonderful and um there was a humility and uh a sense of a sense of purpose about about the team that I think was contagious you know and, and it was it was an absolute privilege to be there and do it and a lot of the tournaments have been hard going without you know that they, they, they have been very hard going just because it is a tough gig in many senses even though you're there with the team yeah yes it's 24 7 you're on call 24 7 oh there'll so often be a story that breaks that has nothing to do with football um and there's nothing wrong with that it's just that's that's what comes with the territory and, and of course you know as as often happened england have let us down and they've let themselves down and, and that they're not by definition they're not going to be the easiest the easiest tournaments to be around but it's always it's always a wonderful experience and um yeah it's one of my career ambitions um my, it's, you know it's, i know time's ticking but to be with england when they win a tournament because i think we've we've gone into plenty of tournaments where we've had that chance and i still and i believe next summer we'll have that chance a big chance to do it uh and to answer your question, I, it 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 gets. I, I enjoy it more and more. I think because um, having seen a lot of great players come through and wear the shirt, I know how much it does mean a lot to players. You know, uh, there is this sense that, and, and some teams haven't helped themselves. Uh, I think sometimes over the years, golden generation springs to mind, but they haven't necessarily been able to connect in the way that this current England team has connected maybe now needs to reconnect a little bit but Southgate's aware of that and um uh so it it, it really is um a, pr a privilege to do it. it makes me excited to do it and when I'm looking at those films those short little films we do beforehand again I just think it's it's trying to find an angle do do some research with the player think about their story uh bringing bringing it to life ask them some questions maybe in the interview that take it outside of the, the sphere that they've been talking about beforehand. Uh, try and be, just be original, I think, with the storyline that you're taking with them. And I think players respond to that. You don't have long. The interviews are often very short. They have to be well prepared. Uh, but players, I always find, you know, if you, if you, if you want to, if, you, if you're coming with a bit of interest and enthusiasm and a slightly different angle, that you know they're going to be able to engage with, then then they'll do their best for you. They'll try that. They'll try their best for you. Um, the short films um, before these before these games, they're totally unique now. I think no other broadcasters doing that with, with with the things you do. I mean, the one that sticks out in my mind was the Roy Hodgson one before the Iceland game. Um, there's loads down the years. They're just it's just brilliant storytelling. Which then again makes it no surprise why your films are so bloody good but um it's is that quite are you quite conscious of it that you always want to be a bit different to what sky are doing to what bt are doing and yeah. what you do what is completely unique for me it's, it's yeah, well, about, about itv's coverage in my opinion 
<laughs> well, thank you very much. I, I think, um, no, I mean, I've always, uh, I think it's just something I developed going back to the days of, of Saints and Greaves, you know, having having been able to work on longer form features then. And that, that was often you get five minutes to do a feature, you know, and that, that was a longer show and, and it was a magazine show. And I've worked on a lot of magazine shows over time. I did Football League Extra for, a, for quite a long time where we had long, you know, big slabs of time uh, that you had to fill with interesting content. And, and, you know, you're talking about some, you know, football league clubs where you get good access, but you're not necessarily always going to get big names. So how do you engage the viewer? You engage the viewer with with a story, hopefully, that's that's going to be more than of interest to just the Swindon Town fan or the Hartlepool fan or whoever. So I think probably that grounding uh, was a good discipline for then going into the more network-led um, programs where you have a shorter running time, but you have potentially bigger, more interesting subjects. You have stars to deal with, but a lot. But if, because they're a star, you get less time with them. Because they're a star, you get less access with them. So how are you? How are you going to marry the two? Um, the two where you want you want to give people give people original content um, and make the most of that fact that you have the star and the privilege you're privileged enough to have that one-on-one -on -one interview with Harry Kane or whoever before that game. And um, so I think that's probably where the grounding came from. I'm not conscious of it being different. It's just possibly light TV of seen a value in it but they've also been good to me and that they've enabled me to do that and, I, and i've been able to do it across horse racing and boxing and rugby and hopefully doing it in those sports has then helped me when i go back to football which isn't the easiest sometimes when it comes to access so you do have to work that bit harder but um working in the other areas has enabled me to gain a few other skills that i, I could bring to that but i think the um yeah it, it's just a what you want to do again, I think, is just and all, all you know, have a good think. Always, always have a good think about it before you go into the room. I, I never go into a room without having prepared a sense of what that piece is going to be, because often the interview is the very last piece of the jigsaw. We do it, you know, the following day we're straight into an edit. So in the days before it, I tried to map out an idea of what we want, archive that we might need other interviewees that we might need on that subject so that by the time we come to do it uh, we, we're in a really good place um, so I don't know if that answers your question really or if I've just been rambling no definitely and <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, finally Gabriel um, what is or has been your greatest moment in your career or is it still to come I, ho I hope it's still to come with England winning a tournament because um, oh, pinnacle I, th I think it probably would be the pinnacle, yeah, because I think as a as a broadcaster, those tournaments, are, as I say, are a special challenge. But also, you know, they are, um, and you know, you, they're, they're a special challenge and a privilege. And I've be, been very lucky to be interviewing some incredible people in, especially in the world of football, and to be at some incredible games, which have given me a lifetime of memories. But it would be nice to have one memory which isn't about looking across in the flash interview area at the end of a world cup and seeing it's that spanish bloke. it's that spanish bloke again uh all the spanish team you know all the spanish team jumping on top of each other in the flash interview area again or all the german team jumping on top of each other in the flash interview area again or you know what i'm going to say 
all the French team jumping on top of each other in the flash interview area again, because I do think that England means does mean a lot to every football fan in this country. I know we all have our club allegiances, no more so than you guys, but um, it would be tremendous if uh, if we were all able to celebrate uh, England winning a trophy. And I'd, I'd love to be there to ask uh, whoever the manager is a few questions about it. Well, I'll, for your sake, Gabriel, and for every Englishman's sake, I'm sure that dream will come true in the long, oh. not, not too distant future. Anyway. <laughs> You're an optimist. <laughs> um, Sam, just before we finish, what an interview we've just had. Yeah, great stuff. Um, again, so grateful that Gabriel's given up his time and um, I managed to just sneak in the request for him to come on the show at the end of it. You're of doing it. like I did with Craig Bellamy, you see, you know. That's it. Well, <laughs> as, as me and Johnny say, when, uh, as our approach to this show, shy bands getting out. So uh, that that's our kind of mantra, and it uh, it's worked once again. <laughs> Gabriel, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you about your career, about all things Savoy Robson, all things Jack Charlton. I thoroughly recommend if you haven't watched um, those films in particular, available. Uh, on Amazon, which obviously is one of our sponsors, which you might see, Gabriel, later this month when Amazon have Premier League matches. Um, Leeds versus Newcastle and Newcastle versus Liverpool are the Newcastle matches uh, that Amazon have coverage of later this month, hopefully, if everything goes well with uh, the Newcastle United COVID cases. Um, this podcast is available uh, on I was going to say Amazon there, but it's Apple, I was going to say. Um, <laughs> uh, on Spotify in particular, so make sure you give us a listen as well. Um, Gabriel, it's been a pleasure and um, the very best of luck with you uh, with England, hopefully. Good to talk to you guys. Thank you very much. Cheers, Gabriel. For myself and Sam, we'll see you all very, very soon. <laughs>